from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a VinePair Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between the regular VinePair Roundtable podcast in order to give a better picture about what's going on in the world of alcohol beverage. And today, I'm really lucky to be speaking with Alexandra Dorda, the founder of Kasama Rum. Alexandra, what's going on? Hi, Adam. It's so good to, to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. My pleasure. So where do I find you in the world uh, in early February? I'm in Brooklyn, obviously, as I said, and it's it's there's snow all over the ground, but where are you? I'm currently in Los Angeles, California. This is where I grew up when I was very small. Um, so it's sort of like coming home in a way. So that's where ah. I am right now. And so I, I assume the weather's a lot nicer than it is here in New York. Yes, it's beautiful. I'm going to make you really <laughs> jealous. I'm looking out into a garden. It's It's beautiful. It's warm. There are birds chirping. It's really nice. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time to uh, to speak with me today. I want to talk to you about a lot of things. Obviously, the rum being the primary um, the primary focus of our conversation. But you know, Kasama Rum. When did you launch Kasama Rum? Can you tell me a little bit about it? So sure, Kasama Rum. Um, I call it the Sunshine Spirit. It's a seven year old rum from the Philippines. We soft launched last year in September of 2020. But our actually our official launch is tomorrow. We're launching with our D2C capability through our website. So that's really exciting. People can now oh, order wow, the congrats. rum directly through our website. Thank you. Um, but it's been sort of a, you know, it's an, obviously an incredibly strange time to launch a brand. And I was a bit cautious. So we did a soft launch um, at the end of last year. So some people who are listening to this podcast may be familiar with your last name. Others may not. So you are not like you're, this is you are not a a rookie when it comes to launching alcohol brands. So can you talk to us a little bit about your background and your family's background in alcohol and sort of then how you decided through that background to create Kasama? Because I think the story of Kasama is really interesting. Sure. So I'm 29, but I like to joke that I have 27 years of experience in the <laughs> alcohol space. Um, my dad launched two vodkas when I was um, just a toddler: Belvedere vodka and Chopin vodka. And he is really a pioneer in the vodka category. Nobody was doing pre super premium vodkas at that time. We still own Chopin Vodka and we craft all of our vodkas at our family owned distillery in Eastern Poland. It's, it's really a beautiful operation. We even farm some of our own ingredients. Um, but I've really grown up in this industry and through my father's love of his, his craft, I really developed a love of craft spirits as well. And, you know, I, you know, when I was little, my dad would take me to restaurants. I was remember being like five years old. And every time we'd go to a restaurant, he'd say, come on, Alex, we have to go, you know, go to the bar. We have to meet the bartender. We have to read the cocktail menu. We have to see if we have, you know, if our products are here. So that was sort of how I got my start in the industry. And then it just sort of progressed from there. And, and it sort of led to me launching this rum from the Philippines, which is where my mother is from. So it feels very full circle to have, you know, a, a family vodka from Poland, where, where my dad is from, and now this rum from the Philippines. So how so how did you get the idea? Um, I mean, obviously, okay, so you have a, a background in the spirits business, uh, vodka, but like, what caused you to say, I want to do a rum? Um, and also, I'm curious, like, what was the rest of the family's reaction to you wanting to do a rum? So the family has been very, very supportive. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. And so I think that they're very happy to see me on my own entrepreneurial journey. And they're super supportive, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. Um, what caused me to do a rum? So I, I've obviously been in this industry a long time and have really observed it very closely for a very long time. And I think I saw a while back that 
I thought that the rum category was just a little bit weaker than all the other ones. You know, I think that there's a distinct lack of interesting lifestyle brands in the category. I think that that's maybe one of the reasons that the category has fallen behind some of the other spirits categories. Everyone keeps saying, you know, rum's going to be next. Rum's going to be the next bourbon or tequila. And it hasn't been so far. So I saw this gap in the market. I wondered why all the rums that I was seeing were pirate-themed, sailor-themed, nautical-themed, when that felt so irrelevant to me and probably to a lot of other people out there. Um, The impetus for me to actually launch Kasama Rum was that a couple of years ago, I learned that the Philippines is actually one of the biggest rum producers in the world. And I have to be honest, I didn't know that. And I think that a lot of people would be surprised to learn that. Uh, Yeah, I was surprised too. Yeah, the biggest rum brand in the world is not Bacardi. It's a brand from the Philippines, but people don't really hear about it because it's mostly just consumed domestically. So I sort of had this aha moment where I realized that I could fill this gap that I perceived in the market while also celebrating the Filipino heritage that I'm so proud of. So in your journey, because now I'm going to let you educate us about Filipino rum, in your journey to learn this, like, you know, what did you discover? I mean, how how long has rum been made in the Philippines? And was it did it come there around the same time? Like, can you, like, what did you, what can you teach us of, that we should know about Filipino rum? So Philippines is not new to the rum game, even though, you know, a lot of people are just learning about it right now. The Philippines was a Spanish colony for 333 years. And that's where our uh, rum history comes from. It's from that period of colonization. So we've been making rum for a very long time. Another thing that's you know interesting to note that I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn is that sugarcane is actually native to Southeast Asia. So it's originally from sort of the Papua New Guinea area and came up through the Philippines to mainland Asia over to Europe and was only brought to the to the Caribbean later on, like around the 1500s. So, you know. We have very rich volcanic soil. The Philippines sits on the ring of fire. We have about 53 volcanoes, some of which are active. So this tropical um, climate that we have, this rich volcanic soil, and the fact that sugarcane is actually originally from this this broader region means that we have some of the best rum in the world. And, And that's really one of the stories that I'd really like to get out there is to help put Filipino craft in terms of rum, but also in other ways on the map. So was the rum being distilled for the same reasons sort of we hear about in the Caribbean? It was, you know, it was to supply the the navies and the sailors and things like that. And um, and that's the product that they had. And do you think was there was it being distilled around the same time as sort of it was coming to the Caribbean? Or do you know if it was first or second? I'm it, it, This is fascinating. You are really you're really testing my history <laughs> knowledge at the moment. Um, I mean, it, it did come from the colonization period, which was up until the end of the the very very end of the 1800s and 300 years before that. So that would have been around yeah the 1500s when that would have started. Amazing. And what do you think is distinct about rum from the Philippines? So obviously, you know, we hear uh, a lot from other rum producers, right? That there's something that's very distinctive about Jamaican rum compared to Nicaraguan rum or Cuban or Puerto Rican, um, Cuban and Puerto Rican being obviously where Bacardi's from, um, Jamaican being sort of what we think of when we romanticize like the sort of the, the pot still, right? Rums. Um, what do you, what do you think is, is really distinct about, uh, Filipino rum? Is there characteristics we can say this is, this is defining across all Filipino rums or, uh, are, are they all different? You know, what can you tell us about, about that? 
So I think there are there are different producers, of course, and everybody has their own style. And I'm thinking about sort of two major brands right now. And, and I would say that their their flavor profiles are completely different. But in the case of Kasama, it's a very light rum. And that's what I think is something that we're bringing to the category that's new in terms of the flavor profile. It's very light. It's very easy to sip. It has very beautiful tropical notes that come from, you know, the sugar cane and the climate that we have there. And I think it's a great rum for sipping. And I think it's also a great rum to help bring new people into the category. You know, I get a lot of people who tell me, oh, I don't really like rum. You know, it's very heavily spiced or it's really overly sweet. And I I just, I try to get them to try because I'm in many of them say, wow, I didn't know that I would like this. So, you know, we're, the Philippines is actually quite a large country. So I don't think I can say that there's just one style of rum throughout the whole country, but Kasama itself is very, it's very light and very, very delicious. Are you, are you distilling molasses or are you distilling – because I think, right, there's – in sort of like the French agricultural style that's become super trendy among bar circles, right? It's really – it's the juice that gets distilled from the sugar cane. And then of the sort of classic sort of styles, we know of Caribbean rum, it's really the molasses. Is is there one or the other that's distilled in the Philippines? We do both in the Philippines. Kasama mm-hmm. is distilled from freshly pressed uh, noble sugar cane juice, but it doesn't have that agricultural taste to it. Um, we are actually distilled in a column. And I think columns get a, a bad rap. Uh, you know, for example, in, in Poland at our family distillery, we use a column and we love that. So to me, pot stills aren't necessarily superior to column stills. But ours is distilled from freshly pressed noble sugarcane juice. And I think that's what contributes to having this very light, pleasant taste. Oh, interesting. And then you said age seven years. Um, mm-hmm. what, what types of barrels are you aging it in? They're ex-bourbon American oak barrels. And I think that's what gives it, it's not a spicy flavor profile, but, you know, bourbon does have that pepperiness to it. So you do get a little bit of pepper at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also notes of vanilla, which I think comes from that, that bourbon as well. Interesting. And so when you were going to create the brand, how many, like, how many rums did you taste? (laughs) So how, how, how well did you sort of educate yourself in the category? I mean, obviously we always talk about people who are entrepreneurs and founders really trying to, to try as many of their potential compet- would-be competitors yes. as they can. How much did you try? I tasted dozens and dozens. Like I'd say over a hundred probably in the process. Just because like you said, I just wanted to see what was out there. Um, I spent most of the time when I was developing the brand, most of the time I was in Warsaw, Poland, and we have actually a great rum, uh, rum bar there that has I don't even know, hundreds of bottles. And so I would go there and I would just try different kinds and see what I liked. It was it was fascinating. And and you you see there are different styles in different countries. And and rum, I think people we haven't sort of exp- most consumers haven't explored the differences in rum, right? We know that in wine that different types of grapes taste different. And we know that in whiskey as well. But I think that in rum that isn't yet appreciated, there are so many different styles to be explored in the rum category. So I think there's two theories with rum that that I I, I think both could be true. And I'm interested what your perspective is here. One is that like the rum renaissance will come through through bourbon, right? That it will be people discovering the these sipping rums, of which Kasama is one, right? It's a seven-year-old well-aged dark spirit that you know will find appeal from people who maybe have gotten used to drinking bourbon cognac things like that and the other sort of theory some people have is that it will come through the light rums the white rums and cocktail culture right Mm -hmm. and sort of like the daiquiris and things like that 
you know, have, have you thought about that? Because obviously the first the first thing you put out uh, as an entrepreneur is a, is a dark age rum. Um, you know, there's a, there's another brand that, as I think you're aware of, we're also fans of on the podcast, 10 to 1. And the mm-hmm. first rum that, that Mark put out was a, was a white rum. So I'm curious as to what the decision was to do the, the dark rum first. Obviously, now he has a dark rum. I'm assuming you might have a light rum down the road. But what was the, what was the decision about, hey, the first thing I'm doing is this seven-year-old, uh, you know, aged, beautiful rum? So first of all, I, I just love the taste of it. So that's what I wanted to, you know, bring bring to the world first. But I do would I would like to bring out an unaged rum, a white rum, or perhaps even an older rum down the line. Um, I, I think that when you were saying this rum renaissance that we're all waiting for, I think that it's upon us as producers to to bring that about. And my my theory as to why rum hasn't had its renaissance yet is that the category, frankly, has been, it's very tired. You know, rum should be a very exciting drink. Everything, it has everything going for it. It's often aged, which people really like, and they like to learn about the wood and the aging process. It's naturally, it has a sweeter flavor profile, which is much more approachable than perhaps whiskey. You know, it typically comes from a warm tropical place and there are all these good connotations with vacation. So, Rum, it should be very popular. And I think that because it's gotten so stuck in this nautical rut, that's why it hasn't really gained widespread appeal. That's my theory, at least. I think that if there were more exciting stories being told in the category that weren't about cartoon pirates and sailors, that there would be more people who would be interested to really learn about about rum. I think that's interesting. I think that's a really good point and one that I know you've spoken about with me before. I mean, so basically, I mean, do you think like, the problem is we've just like corporate, the corporate world, corporate alcohol kind of like whitewashed rum in a, in a lot of ways? That's what I think the problem is. I, I don't know why we've gotten, I understand that pirates did drink rum and say there is right. a, a long history of a tie between rum and, and sailors and the nautical industry. But I just don't think that that's all that rum has to offer the world. But if you look at, if you walk down an aisle at, at a liquor store Pretty much every single rum brand is focused on that one trope, which I think is really unfortunate because it sort of pigeonholes you into one, you know, it's for one very specific type of person. And I don't know why we fixated on that. That's why I wanted to create a rum that was a celebration of the place that it's from in a modern way, in a way that feels relevant to a modern consumer. Um, I spent almost two years developing Kasamo because first of all, because I had a very demanding corporate job and also because I was new and new to this, to developing a brand of my own and didn't, you know, wasn't always sure what I was doing. And during that time, I had a Google alert, a daily Google alert set for rum on my phone. And every morning I would wake up sort of in horror. And I was like, today is the day that somebody would have launched a similar rum brand. And the, the day never came. And I, I'm honestly surprised. I'm surprised that there aren't more rum brands that are you know, celebrating the genuine history of where they're from. So I want to talk about that because I think one of the other things that's really cool is how you designed the bottle and who designed the bottle. Mm -hmm. Because obviously we, there's a lot of brands that will go and source from a place, but then sort of make it their own when they bring it back to where they're from. But you didn't do that. So can you, can you talk about sort of what went into the design of the bottle and who designed it? Yes. So for the bottle, I partnered with a Manila-based a creative agency called Sirius Studio. They were absolutely fantastic. 
Um, the founders are their husband and wife team who are around my age. And I emailed them and I said, look, I really want to design a Filipino brand that has global appeal. I think that in the Philippines, we do a, we we know how amazing our country is and we know how talented Filipinos are. And we do a lot of talking to ourselves about it, which I think is a bit of a shame. So I emailed them and I said, I really want to do a brand that's proudly Filipino, but not just for Filipino I, Filipinos. I think that this should be something that's really for anybody. Um, and they really, they felt very strongly about that mission as well. So I'm proud to say that the that the whole brand was designed by a team in Manila. Um, and it was really about being, you know, proud of our heritage on the bottle. So you see on the neck, we have a, a winking sun. It's the sun that's actually on the Philippine flag. Um, we have stamps that show indigenous flora and fauna. So the whole thing was really about celebrating our fantastic country. And, and I'm glad that Sirius Studio was able to really bring that to life. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's one of these bottles. Um, I was talking to someone on the editorial team uh, earlier today in Slack who knew that I was doing this interview, and she just received a bottle of Kasama. Um, and she was saying too, it's this like really amazing design where you can tell it actually is true to the place, but it also feels very modern. I thought that was a really cool way for her to describe it. Right, like it feels like it's it's totally in line with the the way I think alcohol brands should move in terms of that premium look that you'd have on your bar that someone would walk over and say, Oh, what's this? But then when you pick it up, it's like, Oh, and these are all these things that are actually representative of the place that it's from. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Very cool. So now let's, let's talk about the nitty gritty, Alexander. What has it been like to sell this brand and how, <laughs> and how, you know, can you talk us through the process of sort of what you've gone through over the past few months in order to make this, this thing a reality? Sure. So, Launching during a pandemic was not ideal in any sense. Um, and honestly, at the beginning, I felt really worried. You know, I thought all these bars and restaurants and stores, they're just trying to stay alive. Like, are they going to want to take a chance on a new brand? And that's why one of the reasons that we were so conservative at the beginning. I'm happy to say we, we're nationally aligned with Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. They've been incredib incredibly supportive of the brand, which I'm very grateful for. And we sort of just started slow. We started in South Florida because, um, well, first of all, at the time they were open and also aesthetically it really matches. Also, it's a very big rum market. So we started slowly. And, and I'm happy to say that it's been going really well. We've secured, we're currently in 250 accounts. Wow. We have about 300 that are lined up for spring. Some of these larger chains have long reset periods. So they tell you ahead of time, we're going to be launching in BevMo in California in March or April. We're in a few total wines in Florida. Um, so it's it's been, the reception has been really encouraging, especially, I would have been encouraged anyway, but especially that it's a pandemic and I know how hard it is out there for people. I feel very happy that that retailers have been willing to take a chance on us. And how do you specifically as, as a brand build yourself, right? So I know traditionally prior to the pandemic, one of the ways a lot of indie brands would, would think about building themselves would, would, would be to say, okay, we're going to go immediately into the top bars in a given market. And even if we only sell a case in, we'll hopefully get on the cocktail list because we sold a case in and you know the bartender will explain the rum to consumers. Now that that's not what's happening, obviously, what do you have to do on your end in order to sort of educate a population to make sure that 
now that you are in BevMo, someone walks in and buys it at BevMo, besides just having to randomly see it on the shelf. Have you thought about that? And, and what do those plans look like if you have? Yeah. So I think that's what everybody in the industry is thinking about right now is the the normal tools that we had to launch a brand aren't really there right now, which is typically on premise. So things that we've been doing, so obviously we have a, a social media presence and, and we try to reach out to as many people as possible through social media. We try to get involved with um, different food events that that are happening. So we, for example, were, there was October is Filipino American History Month and we were involved in a pop-up that managed to take place last October. And it was a, it was a pretty small event, but Filipinos are very proud of their culture. And I think also we largely feel invisible within um, within American culture. So when Filipinos find this brand, they are very, they're so supportive and they're very vocal about it. So we get a lot of people who find out about us through social media, through people taking pictures of the brand and then sharing it with their communities. Um it's also been a lot of door-to-door hand selling, which I personally love. Uh, I actually love going from liquor store to, to liquor store with my bag of samples. So I did some traveling around the country earlier this year between um, Florida and California, just literally going from liquor store to liquor store, trying to trying to convince buyers that this is something that will that will sell. And and luckily, like I said, people have been willing to take a chance on us. And I think between you know, the bottle is super eye-catching. It does really stand out on shelf. And also this community that we're building online, it, it's it been going pretty well so far. That's really, really cool. So do you, when we do hopefully open up in the next few, you know, few months, six months, however long it takes, and as people, you know, get vaccines, have you thought about what activations might look like? Have you thought about programs or is that still just too early right now, given everything else that that is going on in the world? I mean, I'm dreaming of it for sure. Like everybody else, I'm dreaming of just, you know, going to a bar and having a cocktail like in normal times. I haven't thought about it in depth because I just don't want to sort of get my hopes up and then have this pandemic last, you know, even longer than we, than we expected. But one of the things I would love to do is in the Philippines, we have this fantastic tradition uh, they're called Kamayan dinners. So um, it, it's Kamay in Filipino means hand. And they're these mm-hmm. dinners that you, they're communal dinners that you eat on banana leaves with your hands. And it's a really, really fun thing to take part in. Obviously, it's not at all COVID friendly. So I right. would never try to do it at this particular moment. But because um, I'm actually means together in Filipino. And so to bring people together in that way, to share a communal meal um, that's eaten by your, with your hands is something I would really love to do once the pandemic is hopefully behind us and sort of go to key markets and and share that that tradition with other people. Amazing. Well, Alexander, this has been such a, a, a great conversation. Uh, it's been really interesting to learn more about the rum um, and about what you're building. I hope that uh, in you know in, in six months to a year or so, we can have you back on. You can give us an update of, of how everything's going. Um, but in the meantime, I wish you uh, great success with this. I think it's a really cool product. Delicious. Having Thank you for sending me a bottle. It was very tasty. And yeah, good luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you had me on your podcast today. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. 
VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.